This is Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital channel Carnival. I'm Peter Holden and welcome to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN 927's digital radio channel in Melbourne, Carnival, via the RSN Racing and Sport app and rsn.net.au. This program is also available as a podcast via the iHeartRadio website and app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. Coming up on this week's show, we'll be catching up with the Brisbane Lions AFLW head coach, Craig Starsevich, an in-depth 36-minute chat on the way. We'll also catch up with Leonor Gallard, co-captain of what was known as the Vancouver Vixens, to talk about their merger with the Burnaby Eagles in the British Columbia AFL. And also on the way, journalist with the 42.ie, Emma Duffy, is going to give us the lowdown on everything when it comes to the Irish AFLW players, including those yet to be recruited, and what effect the AFLW is having on ladies' Gaelic football. All of that is coming up, but first, the latest women's footy news. We begin our women's footy news segment with some terrible news out of the AFL Germany women's competition, and that is the passing of Janine Benecke, uh, died at the age of 22 in a, a tragic traffic incident uh, between Austria and Italy uh, just over a week ago and confirmed during the week by the AFL Germany uh, women's competition. Um, she not only played Australian rules football, but she lived and breathed the sport. She represented the German Eagles at the Euro Cup and European Championships and was on track to represent uh, the Germany Eagles at IC 2020 on the Sunshine Coast. And she helped grow the sport. In fact, she built her own team the Rhineland Lions women's team and was also responsible for helping run the AFL Germany women's page on Facebook. Our thoughts go out to her family, friends and her teammates. To AFLW News, a Fremantle docker is confirmed out for the season. Anne McMahon, who happens to also work in the police force, sustained some injuries, including a broken fibula in her left leg after being hit by an alleged stolen car on Christmas Eve. Uh, a 21-year-old man has been charged with a number of offences and will appear in court on January 23rd. The injuries mean that Anne McMahon is ruled out for the 2020 season. Over at the Carlton Football Club, some news. They have lost their list manager and former Collingwood AFLW head coach Wayne Seekman, who has picked up a role at uh, the West Adelaide Football Club in the Sandville and will take over as their operations manager. In other Carlton news, cross-coder Chloe Dalton, who switched from Rugby Sevens to Aussie Rules to play with the Blues in the AFLW. Well, she'll play through this 2020 season, but once it ceases for the Blues at the end of either the home and away season or the finals, she'll then switch back temporarily to Rugby Sevens in an attempt to try and gain qualification for and be part of the Australian Women's Rugby Sevens Olympic team for Tokyo 2020. She won gold with Australia at the Rio Games and is looking to go back to back. And finally, the Collingwood versus Melbourne AFLW match for round four has been moved. It will still be played on Friday, February 28th. It was meant to be played at Victoria Park. It has now been moved to Marble Stadium in the Docklands to be part of a double header with the Men's Victoria versus All-Stars Bushfire Relief match. First to our featured guest for this week. He's been on our show a number of times over the years. 
He played VFL slash AFL football with the Collingwood Magpies and the then Brisbane Bears. He was AFL Queensland female high performance manager. For a number of years, he was also coach of the Western Bulldogs during the AFL women's exhibition matches. And then, of course, he became the inaugural Brisbane Lions head coach in the AFLW, a role he still retains to this day. In fact, he is the only coach to take an AFLW side to two grand finals. We speak of Craig Starsevich, and he joins us on the line now. Craig, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Peter. How are you? Not too bad at all. Great to have you back on the line. And I want to throw at you a stat or a fact straight away. Does it feel a little weird that yourself and Mick Stenier out of Melbourne are the only remaining coaches in their position from the inaugural year? Uh, Yeah, it is a bit strange. There's there's been a bit of turnover there and obviously a lot of new clubs coming into the comp. But um, I'm looking at the number of... Uh, ex-AFL players who are now involved either as senior coaches or assistant coaches and I'm um, I'm pretty proud that um, you know early on I was a bit of a trailblazer there so to have a lot more guys involved that have had uh, AFL men's playing experience is, uh, is terrific for the competition and down the track we'll see uh, all the current AFLW girls getting into those roles uh, as they build up their experience in this competition. Let's talk about the last couple of years. We last spoke to you um, uh, going into the 2018 season where you'd make uh, another AFLW Grand Final. But post that, expansion came. Uh, How difficult has it been? Um, And we'll go through the numbers in a moment, but to hold on to players when, as naturally a competition expands and six new teams come in, uh, everyone's trying to pick out the best players from wherever they can. Yeah, it's difficult in club land because you... You know, strike relationships relationships up with your group, and you want to keep your team together and build on that year on year. Um, however, the environment we've just been in, obviously going from eight clubs to ten clubs to fourteen clubs now, um, is pretty unique. Um, certainly, the men's competition hasn't been through anything like that in the last thirty odd years, and uh, year on year. So that's been challenging. But when you have a look at the competition on the whole, um, we've got now, um, you know upwards of 400 contracted players in in the competition, um, which makes us, I think now, uh, the biggest female contracted team sport in Australia. So in a a short space of time, in three or four years, um, we've at least got that that title. We're still building the the, the quality and depth of our competition. But, um, yeah, getting uh, new teams in and getting a lot more players exposed to um, semi-professional life is um, one of the big uh, upsides of the rapid expansion. But in club land, you've just got to deal with it and move on and find new players. Uh, like um, Collingwood, who lost um, their marquees in uh, Emma King and Moana Hope, both of them at, at that stage last year went across to North Melbourne. Yourself, uh, over a period of time, you've lost both marquees. Originally, Taylor Harris down to Melbourne a couple of years ago to Carlton. Uh, for this scene, season, Sabrina Frederick has moved down to play for Richmond. When you, To use an American term, when you use, lose those faces of the franchise, uh, is it almost having to try and refind an identity for the team? Um, well, I think when you're talking about individuals, I mean, we're, we're under a bit of pressure in year one to keep Taylor at the Brisbane Lions in the first place. So um, there's always reasons behind why you have certain players as your marquees when you start out. Um, and it's not necessarily your best players at the time. Uh, it just happens to be what the market decides. So that's sort of where we were for the, for the first year or so. Um, we're lucky enough now to have 
eight players on our list that have been there since day one. Um, I think between them, there's five All Australian jumpers, and and uh, all three of our best and fairest winners are, are there as well. So, in terms of identity, um, you know, your, your Emily Bates and your Kate Luckins and Ali Andersons have been uh, have been our mainstays and been our best and fairest winners over the first three years. Emma Zilke's back as captain this year. Uh, Jess Wooshen has been uh, All Australian as well in that group. So, yeah, so we're we're just grateful that the the eight players that have um, stuck with us since year one are still with us and we've got this really exciting uh, newer group of players coming in underneath. You did manage to pick up some experience along the way. First of all, beginning with uh, the 2018 season, you managed to pick up uh, the former Carlton AFLW captain in Lauren R. Now, you were a bit fortunate there because uh, Lauren's sister was living on the Gold Coast, which made the the move up, at least during the season, a little bit easier. What was the original idea about Lauren coming up? Just a player to fill a role, or were you looking at a stage of perhaps, particularly with a uh, training background that she had at AFL Victoria, perhaps a, a future coaching role up there in Queensland should she decide to stay longer term? Yeah, you're right about that. Lauren's got a bit more to um, to her resume other than her playing ability. So there's uh, there's those aspects. She's a, a high-quality person. She's got an interest in coaching. So down the track, I think that's probably somewhere where she'd like to go. Um, the players lean on her uh, experience-wise. and She's such a calming and and thoughtful person around the group, but she's um, she's a leader within our group without the title, which is which is pretty handy. So um, she's got um, great value. Having said all that, she finished sixth in our best and fairest last year as well. So um, her productivity on the ground was was right up there also. But um, her qualities as a person and a leader have been um, very very important for our young group. The 2019 season was a tough year. It's when the conferences came in. Uh, it could have easily been uh, a four-win season. It ended up being just a, a two-win season. But from a coaching perspective, do you find out more about a side when you're actually having that losing year? You get to see not only who's trying hard when the game's not going your way, but obviously the the off-field um, the off-field personality of players and how they react at training and during the off-season, etc. When things aren't quite going to plan. Yeah, you do find out a bit about people when you're going through those periods, no doubt. Um, and so we're, we're still in the hunt. As strange as it was on the last day, um, playing against Collingwood in the last quarter, we were still uh, a chance to uh, make the conference be top two at that point. So um didn't quite work out and um, we didn't take our opportunities in that game to to be able to make the most of that. But uh, it gave us a great opportunity to, to debut a lot more people, which we didn't get the chance to do in the first two years on the back of being um, reasonably successful. So... Um, it did give us a chance to debut uh, six or seven players and have a look at them. Uh, most of those are still on our list now and um, are going to play vital roles this year and in coming years. So coming into uh, the 2020 season, a turnover of at least 13 players, uh, majority of them to the Gold Coast, including one of your assistant coaches, David Lake, ha- has gone over there as well. So when you have to turn over almost half the side, what is the philosophy with the core players you've got left? Are you trying to build a game plan around them and add players from the draft? Or is it a case of you go into the draft, you pick up the best players you can, and once you've got all your pieces, then try and build the plan from there? 
Yeah, well, every year we've had to turn over. Um, you know, we've drafted nine or ten most years. Um, so the turnover's sort of been a fairly consistent thing. Um, we've, we've had a look at who's, you know, which clubs have retained their original players. We've got eight, um, and I think the most is ten. So that's uh, either Adelaide or Melbourne. I can't remember which one. But there's not great range there for the foundation clubs in terms of retaining players from 2017. So we've all had to turn them over. Um, we've copped it, you know, probably worse than most, but not by too much. So we're used to that environment of you know, providing new opportunities. The thing that's probably going to happen now um, with two-year contracts and no new clubs on the horizon for hopefully the next couple of years is we're hoping that there'll be that little bit of stability now that, you know, you, you've got um, players on your list that you can persevere with for you know, a couple of seasons and and start to um, solidify your game plan and, and those sorts of things and, and a game style and start to get some real growth and improvement in players uh, that you draft. You want to keep them for longer than just the one year. So um, unique circumstances now um, to this competition at least that we can hang on to our players a little bit longer. Let's talk about some of the players you pre-signed before you went into the draft. Uh, you picked up two players as rookies. Uh, one of them was Greta Bodie, uh, who I believe originally played in the Queensland NPLW. Yeah, that's right. Greta's got a soccer background. Um, she's a physio. Um, she was up in Cairns on a work placement across the summer. And um, Cairns um, have a, a summer women's competition. And um, she got invited down like, you know, it's a story pretty familiar for most girls that start playing footy uh, later in their 20s. There's a friend that invites them down to footy training and all of a sudden they realise they're not bad at it. And, uh, and she ended up coming back to Brisbane, playing in the Quaffle and, and was a standout. So we were pretty keen to uh, play her in our winter series and see what she had to offer and then um, pick her up as a rookie in, in June or July, I think, or June, I think it was, that we picked her up. So, um, yeah, we're pretty keen to do that. But, yeah, her soccer background, um, she plays forward of centre mainly. Um, unusual for a soccer player to come in and actually be productive from the outset playing forward of centre. Normally they like to sit behind the play and and, um, and that's where they're most comfortable. But uh, Greta's been, been terrific forward of the ball. I, I see long-term her being a, a medium-sized mid, but she's got good goal sense. Um, she's quick and powerful, um, tacks the contest hard, and uh, she's got good goal sense in that part of the ground as well. From the Crosscoders program, you've picked up your own Irish woman out of Gaelic football, Ola O'Dwyer. Yeah, Ola's um, is an exciting prospect. She's uh, she's a dual athlete already, um, having played uh, Gaelic football and camogie, which is um, a female version of hurling. So she's already juggled a couple of sports back in Ireland. Um, she's an extraordinary athlete. She came to us in October and November and got to work really, really quickly. Uh, still, her skills are a work in progress, but she's she's clean below her knees and good above her head. Uh, runs an extraordinarily good um, 2K, and uh, she's also quite quick. So we're, we're pretty um, excited about getting her into the team somehow, whether it's early in the season, not too sure, but um, she's, uh, she's certainly got some attributes that could be quite exciting. Uh, you got one back from the inactive list in Sophie Conway. If I recall correctly last year when she did her injury, I think it was this, about a week apart from her brother also doing a knee. 
Yeah, they haven't had much luck with Conway. So, um, but at least uh, Isaac and, and Sophie have been able to share rehab stories on the way through. Um, Sophie's been um, terrifically professional in the way that she's gone about uh, getting herself back. Um, she lives and breathes footy and she's certainly, um, you know, missed the last year. It's been quite frustrating for her, but um, training super well at the moment. Um, she's a very balanced and smooth-moving athlete. Um, and we sort of can't wait to get her back in the team either. She'll add a, a whole lot of uh, class and polish in their front half, that's for sure. During the trade and free agency period, you managed to pick up Rianne Lug from Adelaide. How important is it to be able to pick up someone with, A, uh, that experience in AFLW over the last couple of seasons, considering the amount that you lost to the Gold Coast, and also mm. someone with that IP, that knowledge from being inside a club that has won the Premiership? Yeah, so Ree's, Ree's another, just a, a, a great person. She uh, obviously had a frustri- frustrating time at Adelaide last year with a you know a team that was going so well and she couldn't force her way uh, into their midfield, primarily as a as a winger. Um, but yeah, she's, uh, again, a great athlete, good long-distance runner, uh, very skillful and composed, uh, great footy IQ, as you mentioned, so... You know, to have her in our group as well, just to just to balance out that youth and experience bit, um, it's going to be very beneficial for us as well. At number three in the draft, you managed to pick up Lily Postlethwaite. Of course, she was the uh, Queensland captain in the under-18 uh, national championships, a, a classy midfielder. Um, how important was it to have that front position in the uh, Queensland section of the draft ahead of the Gold Coast to pick up such a talent like Lily? Yeah, well, that was one of the upsides of um, losing players. So um, for uh, Sabrina going to uh, Richmond, uh, Mackenzie Dowrick going to West Coast and and uh, Tate McCarthy going to St Kilda, we were able to get some compensation picks. So we got first-round picks in the draft, which allowed us first access to Queensland talent. Uh, as it turns out, Lily's a Lions Academy product anyway. So, um, But it was great to be able to get her early in the draft, uh, quality, quality player, good athlete, really balanced, good decision maker, clean um, and we're, you know, we're very hopeful that she's going to have an impact right from the get-go. Uh, considering um, she's normally listed as a, a midfielder, but you've got a quality midfield as it is already when you have a look at Anderson, Bates, Zilke, Zanchetta, for example, in the centre. Is she someone you consider pushing forward, considering there may be a space there considering that Jess Wuchner played in defence this last QAFLW season? Uh, yeah, that's a possibility, but you can't have too many midfielders, Peter. So, you know, they're all, all going to have roles in and out of that part of the ground or, as you mentioned, whether it's uh, back in defence or, you know, high half forward or wing or whatever it is. It's uh, that group that sort of play between half forward and half back. They're all fairly interchangeable. So, um, yeah, you're right. She might have a role forward, um, could have a role on the wing, could have a role in the middle. Um, probably a bit to ask of an 18, 19-year-old to go straight in the middle and have an impact at AFLW level, but it didn't stop Matty Prisparkas last year. But, um, yeah, we're, we're sort of you know, hopeful Lil will have uh, um, some sort of an impact in our team, but just not sure where yet. Where yet. Of course, a couple of under-18s names who's been around for a while and they were pick 15 and 16th respectively was uh, Isabella Dorr as and also uh, Cathy Spark. Uh, yeah, Belle, Belle Dorr's 
is uh, uh, Lily's age. They came through the under-18s around about the same time. Slightly different player. She's more um, full of a gate in and under. Um, you know, she's one of those players that just bores into the contest, comes out the other side with the footy, and normally does something productive with it. Um, high energy. Um, so, yeah, so she's, she's an exciting one. Um, whether she's a midfielder or, or even a small forward, not too sure. But, yeah, Belle, Belle will be someone that... Um, you know, she won't um, she won't die wondering about whether she's gone hard enough at a contest. So that's um, that's an exciting player that we can add to our group as well. Cathy's uh, a bit different. Cathy's um, an older player. She's um, in her late twenties. Came to put it late in the piece. Um, extraordinary athlete. Um, still um, polishing off her craft um, in terms of her you know technical skills, but. Um, her athleticism and competitiveness are second to none. So um, we're pretty excited about getting her in the group. More likely as a medium-small defender, but could end up being a midfielder or, or even a small forward. Pick 17, you went with a 24-year-old, Hannah Hillman, originally based out of uh, Mackay, won a premiership with Cooperoo. And even though being 184 centimetres tall, she took out the two-kilometre time trial at the AFLW Combine. Um, that, that is one heck of a weapon, a, a, a potential ruck that can just uh, blitz it around the field. Yeah, so Hannah's one of those stories that's probably, unfortunately, a bit too common in AFLW circles. She came through the under-18 ranks with Jordan Zantetta and Emily Bates and Ali Anderson and Bree Kona all around about the same age in our team. Came through 18s together. Um, obviously no AFLW around uh, five, six years ago. So that was her sort of um, signal to go and concentrate on her on her physiotherapy degree, which she's done. She's now um, a practising physiotherapist. Uh, decided that, you know, AFLW was too good to pass up on and came back to footy. And as you mentioned, had a really good year with Tuparu this year in the Coffle. She's actually living in Mackay at the time and paying her own way to fly from Mackay to Brisbane each weekend to play for Tuparu, if you don't mind. That's so, extraordinary. Yeah, so that's a that's a fair commitment. Um, so that's, um, that, that was a, a, a big flag for us to say that, you know, Hannah's Hannah's keen on making a fist of this. So, um, yeah, so that got us excited. She obviously um, performed well as well. Uh, good athlete, as you mentioned, good long-distance runner. Um, got some work to do with her ruck craft, but she's uh, very, very good around the ground and becomes, you know, that, that extra midfielder that most coaches want uh, from their ruckman as well, that they get their hands dirty and busy around the ground and get involved in general play. So, yeah, Hannah's uh, going to be a work in progress, but she's already uh, got a really good starting point. Talking about commitment, another player who had to move was Lucy Ballinger, who you picked up with, pick number 20. Um, the 25-year-old originally came from uh, SA. She played with uh, with the Bays and the Sandfell W and, and Morphy Park in the Adelaide Football League uh, Division 1. Um, first of all, what is the conversation like with that, speaking to someone from interstate, judging their appetite, and then trying to help them set up with the move to Queensland? Yeah, so there's a little bit of a connection there. Um, she knew Lauren Arnell through uh, Glenelg. Um, there's a connection there with mutual friends. So that that sort of started the process, and then it was you know a little bit of us tracking her throughout the um, the South Australian Footy League year. Early, obviously, that competition finishes a little bit earlier in the year. We're really happy with her her style of play. 
Um, she's a sort of a rangy, hard-working half-forward, if you like, sort of medium-tall that um, likes to come right up the ground and connect with defenders and, and mids and then bolt back inside your forward 50 to become a scoring op- option as well. So um, her hands are really good. Her kicking is great. Her footy now is, is also uh, really high. Um, so we, 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 we're quite um, excited about what Lucy could bring to the table um, in that sort of running high half forward role. So, yeah, it probably just depends on how we balance our forward structure up, but she's certainly got um, some attributes that could be handy for us. It's not every day that you hear someone um, being picked up to play Aussie rules with a background in gymnastics and diving. But that's exactly the background of Talia Hickey. Yeah, so Talia is another one of our Lions Academy products. And, um, yeah, you're, you're right. And you don't get you know someone in the high 180s with that sort of athleticism. So um, her football's um, developing and a bit of a work in progress. Um, she's already a, a reasonable uh, ruckman. Uh, can play a tall defender, can play tall forward. Um, all of those things are developing, uh, but very, very hard to pass up on um, someone of her height with racism. And, um, you know, obviously coming through our academy made that connection pretty easy for us. You've got one returnee, uh, Selena Priest, but of course uh, some may remember her under the name Selena Goodman. Yeah, so Selena was with us year one, played every game that season. Uh, including the grand final as, a, as an undersized ruckman, did an extraordinary job with us in that little period. Um, she was a victim of that first year where you were forced to um, get your list back down to 21. So we were the rules back in the day. And you um, basically sent the five or six that you couldn't hang on to back to state league to see how they fared and then, uh, and then hopefully redraft them. Well, you know, our bad. We didn't redraft her for a couple of years. Um, Probably a little bit of a two-way street there. Maybe, maybe her form at the time didn't warrant it either. Uh, but to her credit, she's gone back and 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 completely turned her game around and improved enormously as a rebounding key defender. So she's one of the real bright lights last year uh, in the quaffle as that type of player. And um, you know that's 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 also a, a hard commodity to find that really athletic that tall, rebounding, athletic defender who can mark it and run the ball out of defence. Um, those players are really difficult to find and um, and Sal had a terrific quaffle season. So um, she's back on her list. So it's a terrific story. One thing that's also assisted the Lions has been the uh, QW Winter Series and you've picked a, cu- a couple of players who had played in that particular series of matches against the Gold Coast, uh, both out of the UQ Red Lions in Dakota Davidson and also in Maria Maloney. Yeah, that's uh, you're right. The Winter Series is vital for us. Um, given, you know, we, we need to find a way to keep our players together across winter and have some meaningful uh, high-level games against other AFLW clubs. Um, in the last couple of years, we've had those games against the Giants and the Suns. So that's been, um, you know, super important for us to keep our group together, uh, bring our academy players through to see whether they're up to the mark, and also to give, um, the, you know, the, the high-level couple players a chance to shine and see whether they fit into the group also. And uh, Dakota and Maria tick all those boxes. Dakota's um, an aggressive, hard-leading forward um, who likes to, you know, charge up at the footy and, and, and demand the ball and she really attacks the ball ferociously in the air. She's got a good set of hands and decent shot, a shot at goal. 
so we're excited about what Dakota could bring to our group, forward of centre. And uh, Maria's one of those uh, hard-working in and under midfielders who, you know, get on their hands and knees and, and get first hands on it, flick the ball out and, and get the ball moving our way. So her ability to win contested ball at ground level, um, run hard from contest to contest with her, her great endurance is, is going to be handy for us also. So, yeah, nice to have two players. It uh, wasn't by design that they've just come from the same club, just uh, the way it worked out, but um, they're both going to be important parts of our group uh, for this campaign. And that leads to two questions uh, going forward. Um, a, is there a plan for another Winter Series this year? And B, how important is it now that the QAFLW has made the move to starting at around about uh, late February to almost align with the AFLW before running through to about August? Yeah, win- Winter Series for us is vital. Um, if you're not a Melbourne-based club where you get your players um, you know, pretty much all year round, uh, we've got to find other ways to keep them together and provide that meaningful match practice where we can try things, train the group together, you know, check in across the winter as to how their conditioning and, and strengthening are, are coming along. Um, but yeah, just that, that connectedness across the winter is vital for us, given that we don't have a team in the in the quaffle competition. So um, yeah, super important. We're, we're in discussions at the moment about what this year looks like um, later on in the in the in the winter. Um, and it's looking promising um, having the non-Victorian teams play each other, uh, but no announcement yet of what that completely looks like. It's still uh, being discussed. Um, and the quaffle coming in underneath AFLW is, is, is super important, um, given that we need, again, for the players that aren't selected, somewhere to go back and play uh, club footy where they can put their hands up for selection for us um, you know, and they're, they're playing games for keeps as, as far as state league goes as well, and they're playing a, a vital role with those clubs. So it gives them a chance to play well, put their hands up for selection, and you know, give give us something to think about in terms of what our team looks like. For those that may not have been keeping an eye on lions.com.au, with the move now of uh, your former assistant David Lake to the Gold Coast Suns, uh, what does the reshuffle mean, and who's now taking over what line in the coaching ranks for the Lions underneath your role? Yeah, we haven't sort of changed things too much. Um, Clark Keating, who was originally our ruck coach, and Simon Black was our midfield craft coach, although Blackie's not um, not a match day coach. Um, those two guys have continued their work, but, but Clark's now a ruck coach and midfield coach, so that was no different to the role he played in the last four games last year. Um, and we've flipped Daniel Merritt from defence to the forward line, so freshened him up, and Brent Stake has done the reverse, going from forward to back. So those two guys have been with us since day dot, and um, they've now got uh, different parts of the ground to, to freshen them up and provide some new ideas for the players for that part of the ground. So, um, yeah, happy that we've got the continuity of those guys on board. You know, wealth of football knowledge amongst all three of them, which is great. Uh, Phil Lovett, our academy coach, is also our development coach, so that connection between academy and and uh, developing our, our younger players on on the list is um, is in you know set there as well. So yeah, very very happy that we've been able to keep uh, our coaching group. And um, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure the players feel that um, you know that they're, they're happy to have those guys on board as well. 
over the last three seasons, you'd cop a bit of a short straw when it came to the fixture, only getting the three home games and having to travel. Uh, the fixture gods have seemed to have smiled upon you this year in the conference. Four home games, and plus if you count the game against Gold Coast at Metricon Stadium, uh, means you play five out of your eight games in Queensland. Yeah, it's, it's a nice time. Although the first three years, that travel was um, you know, a great bonding experience for our group as well. They actually didn't mind uh, the novelty of getting out of Brisbane and travelling, you know, four or five times a year. Um, so that part of it was um, was okay. It's not like a boys' season where the, the grind of travel for the non-Victorian teams, when you travel 10, 11, 12 times, starts to take its toll. Um, but, yeah, that was that was actually a, a bit of a blessing, really. Um, this year's different, though. We've um, got, uh, obviously, those, those five games in, in our own state. Um, so that's um, you know that's something that's unusual, but um, we certainly look forward to that. One of them, obviously, at the Gabba, which is really exciting, playing North Melbourne there um, late in the season as a double header with the men's men's comp. So interesting to see um, how many people we can get along to the Gabba. That's something the players are certainly looking forward to. Uh, we had a winter series game there this year, and and we had um, three or four thousand show up that afternoon. So that was. Um, our players' first real experience of playing on on the Gabba, the home of the Brisbane Lions. So hopefully we can get a few more to that game when we play North there later on in the year. I'll just quickly touch on three games out of that fixture, um, particularly that first one, uh, Saturday 8th of February, Hickey Park, 4.10pm against the Adelaide Crows. You're welcoming the reigning premiers. If someone looked at that fixture originally a few months ago, they would have said, oh dear, you know, not the greatest uh, start in the world that you want. But no one wishes injuries, but for your way, there's just injury news, injury news, injury news coming out of the Adelaide Crows. You still have got to go out there and play the game. But how much more do you fancy your chances once that news comes out of Adelaide? Yeah, well, regardless of where they where they were sitting injury wise, we were actually welcome to that game. No, no better challenge than playing the Roman Premier in, in round one. As it turns out, well, we didn't play the club last year, but um, as it turns out, year one and two, where our record against Adelaide is pretty pretty reasonable. So, um, yeah, we're we're looking forward to that to that contest. Um, they're uh, obviously the yardstick of the competition. Um, we'll be looking to get off to a, a good start, as most teams will. But, um, yeah, to play that one at home, reigning premier um, at Hickey Park at, at Wilston Grange, hopefully we can um, get a great crowd along to, to support us. It's a, it's a terrific venue. It's got great atmosphere and, um, you know, great opening to the start of the season for our side. The one that you've probably got penciled in is Saturday, the 22nd of February, Metricon Stadium, 4.10pm, the first ever Q clash when it comes to women's football uh, for premiership points between the Lions and the Gold Coast Suns. Um, what's the talk been amongst the players that have, again, playing against their old teammates coming into this? And what's your personal feelings coming into this first ever rivalry game for you? Yeah, it's going to be interesting. Um, the boys have sort of had the Q clash going now for a number of years and it's slowly building the rivalry as both clubs, um, you know, are starting to climb back up the, uh, the AFL ladder. I think we're probably lucky to have, um, you know, a pretty strong um, sense of rivalry right from the get-go given that there's 11 players or 12 players on their list that have played for us in the past. So that's, um, that's going to certainly get... Um, you know, get people excited right from the get-go, uh, none the least the players. 
So, um, yeah, that's that's certainly a, a fixture that we've got in mind that, um, that we're certainly um, going to be quite excited about. But, um, yeah, it's only, only one game out of the eight, ultimately. But um, hopefully from a supporter point of view and a, and a general interest around AFLW and Queensland, uh, that's definitely a game at Metricon where we can um, you know, try and get close to packing the place out. Um, first ever key clash, you know, a lot at stake, a lot of stories behind it. Um, and hopefully we can build a, a huge crowd down there. And finally, as you mentioned earlier, that uh, historic doublehead that you're going to have uh, at the Gabba when you take on the Kangaroos in the final match of the um, home and away season, um, it probably leads to a point of um, we've seen joint training sessions before with some of the clubs when there'll be just a general run through of both the men's and women's team. Uh, what has the bonding been like between the men's and women's sides at the Lions? And do you expect, um, I guess, more activities around that leading into that historic doubleheader? Um. Yeah, but the, the, we, we don't do a lot together training-wise. However, we share the same space uh, often. So, you know, we're, they're the day shift, we're the night shift. Um, that's sort of the way it sort of pans out. Uh, there's, yeah, we, they do, the, the club is one, I guess, but we don't really have the opportunity to do a whole lot together. Um, I know our leaders at the moment are doing little bits and pieces with uh, some of the boys' leaders, but that's um, that's a probably uh, quite a minor thing at the moment. But yeah, in, ter- in terms of getting both groups together, um, the schedules sometimes don't allow it. Uh, our training nights are different to theirs, um, but there's lots of crossover in the corridors in terms of um, you know coming in to recover or coming in to use the gym or. You know, the, the girls are as part, much a part of the furniture of the Gabba as the boys are. However, our training times don't lend themselves to necessarily uh, doing much together. Um, that's not to say that they don't support each other. They're, they're very strong supporters of each other, but um, just our, our programs don't uh, meld as much as you, you'd think. One final question on the side uh, before we let you go. Um, Emma Zilke has uh, retaken the captaincy after originally standing down and Leah Kasler taking over. Of course, Leah's now gone to uh, the Suns. Uh, what was the thinking, I guess, around yourself or the playing group leading into Emma becoming captain again? Was there the thought to, let's go back to our inaugural captain? Or was there maybe a thought also about, well, do we maybe look to the future and a younger captain? No, our process is the same every year. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to nominate yourself yep. for one of the leadership positions to start with. So you know, generally get up to a dozen people putting their hands up and showing an interest to, to be part of the leadership group, which is terrific. Um, that's been the case in all four years. Um, in the votes in the first three years, it was pretty well neck and neck between Leah and, and, um, and Emma on the way through. Uh, Sam Burgo's name was always up in mm. conversation around there as well with the with the players. Um, so yeah, so in terms of our process, it's been exactly the same. You nominate yourself, and then uh, the playing group gets the vote. So um, yeah, that's that's pretty much the way it turned out. The the players wanted wanted Emma back in that role. Um, got some new you know new people around her as well that have sort of elevated themselves into into that group. Shani Webb, uh, Bree Conan. Emily Bates is back in that role. Kate Martins as a uh, part of the leadership group as well. So all really experienced players, all been you know, at our club from day dot and they've all got unique little um, parts of their character that add to you know the leadership, the whole leadership um, 
you know, puzzle. So, um, but Emma's Emma's been uh, the one that the players wanted as as their leader, and um, it was endorsed by us. And one final question as we go. We know you're a big uh, 49ers fan. They're through to the uh, NFC uh, title game uh, up against the uh, Packers next weekend. Uh, Can they get through the next stage and then can they knock off either the Chiefs or the Titans and take out the Super Bowl? I hope so, Peter. It's exciting. There's not too many teams around the world that I sit on the edge of my couch and get really sort of nail-biting uh, exciting about, excited about, but um, 49ers are one of those. So um, I was lucky to catch one of their games over there uh, at the end of last year, which was great. And um, happy that they got through on uh, on Sunday morning. And uh, yeah, got a few more challenges ahead before they can before they can take the Super Bowl um, out. But um, yeah, next uh, next weekend is going to be uh, a really tough game and exciting one. So looking forward to watching that one. Well, Craig, you've been very generous with your time. Thank you very much again for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. We wish you and the Lions all the best in Season 4 of AFLW. Thanks, Peter. Don't go anywhere. We'll have more Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival coming up in just a moment. Been playing for a while Sweet kicks Cos footy makes you smile Sweet kicks football If you're getting ready for the trials Gotta go the extra mile Sweet kicks football Not always hearing that sweet sound when you kick the ball? Need to develop your footwork or explosive speed? Want to take the next step in your footy career? Then you need Sweet Kicks. More info on our Facebook page or go to our website, sweetkicksfootballacademy.com.au. Gotta go the extra mile. Sweet Kicks Football. Welcome back to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. I'm Peter Holden. Now, on this program, we don't just focus on the AFLW. We focus on women's footy across Australia and, in fact, around the world. We take a look at North America quite frequently, mostly through the US AFL and every now and again through AFL Canada. Now, we know things have been going very well over in Toronto and Montreal and, of course, women's sides in Calgary and Edmonton. But changes are afoot on the West Coast in British Columbia. The Vancouver Vixens, a mainstay in the competition since 2016, are at least temporarily no more. They've elected to merge with the Burnaby Eagles. But it's for a good reason as they try and expand women's football there in Canada and also the USA's Pacific Northwest. And to explain a little more, I've got on the line the co-captain of what was the then Vancouver Vixens and she'll be representing the Canada Northern Lions at the International Cup 2020 on the Sunshine Coast come this Australian winter. We speak of Leonore Gallard. Leo, how are you? I'm really good. Thanks for having me. Great to have you on the line and congratulations in one way. It's not bad news that there's no more Vixens, but it's an evolution of women's football there in British Columbia. Definitely, yeah. It's been a work in progress for the last year. A lot of um, of our players put in a lot of time and effort in uh, making the merge possible. Um, we were already very close clubs uh, training together and supporting each other, and it just made sense to 
become one, really increase that support, grow the sport, especially on the women's side, but also support the men and their development. And um, hopefully we're going to see that um, the benefits of joining, um, merging and um, for the women. And then we're really pushing for other men's teams to do similar and to have their own recruitment for women so that eventually in, in all of the BC teams, there will be um, men and women's team in every club. Now, of course, the name Vancouver will stand out to anyone that's outside of, obviously, British Columbia, and more so than probably Burnaby. So just to explain to people, where is Burnaby in relation to Vancouver, if you think of Vancouver downtown and Stanley Park and all the tourist stuff? Yeah, um, Burnaby is actually um, to the east and a little bit south, I guess, of the main Vancouver downtown area. Um, it's very accessible um, because it's connected with the SkyTrain, um, like a, a public transit that's very fast and um, frequent. Um, and it's just just outside of Vancouver. And we have a lot of players that come from um, North Delta and Coquitlam and being the only women's team in Vancouver, the location actually for us is very convenient to get more numbers and to make it more accessible for everyone. Um, we do realize not having Vancouver in our name and not having that identity as uh, Vancouver is going to uh, be a little hurt, hurt, hurt us in recruiting online potentially. Um, but we're hoping that um, that location and just spreading the word uh, is still going to get us there. Now, I believe that one of the reasons obviously for the Vixens merging into the uh, Burnaby Eagles is to start the transition to having two and maybe perhaps in the future more women's teams there in British Columbia. Definitely, yes. Um, having Being part of the Eagles is going to help with recruitment and financially getting more money to get the word across on um, women's footy. And then eventually when we do split, we will still have that Vancouver Vixens identity. It's the name we still um, we still have it. Um, we're just kind of retiring it for temporarily until we grow our numbers and are able to split back up into two teams and then have the, the Eagles and the Vixens and um, the whole idea behind joining a women and a men's club is that eventually all men's club will take on a women's um, team. I know the Vancouver Whistler Hawks has showed a lot of interest in growing women's city and having a women's club associated. So they put an effort in, in recruitment for us. Um, and we're hoping that other, the Vancouver Cougars and the, the Saints will also um follow in those footsteps and help us grow women's study. Can you talk about that? Because you were a co-captain of the Vancouver Vixens, about the resources you had at the time when you were just, I guess, by yourselves as a solo club. Essentially, how many A players did you have and people that you had behind the scene to be able to try and not only do recruiting, but trying to do fundraising and just running the club in general to now, of course, the resources that you have as being part of a, a bigger club in Burnaby? Definitely. Uh, there's been so much work that is put in behind the scenes to make the, the club run. Um, the whole, the directors, the Vixens directors put in hours and hours, not just in recruiting, but in the, just the regular, um, season for the season to go the way it does, organizing the events, the equipment. Um, we don't have any 
staff, there's nobody, everyone is volunteering their time. Um, and a lot of what makes footy so fun is the community and the events that go around it. And those do take a lot of time to organize and plan. And um, because there isn't a governing kind of body of uh, staff that works for us, everyone just has to put in that little bit of work. Um, merging the club already um with the Eagles, we're seeing that um, some of our directors um, that were that have put in so many hours into um, making the the events go and um, just run the the team, they're kind of stepping down and say, "Hey, I, I put in my time. I no longer have that amount of time. I can focus on my work and other things that are happening in life." and um, some of the like each somebody from every side of the team is stepping up and taking that on now as opposed to having to have twice that amount of work from each team so that's really really nice we're also um we um, the afl canada um, body hired a new development manager um jacob hustler i don't know if you've had a chance to chat with him about um, developing footy in Canada, but he's already been um, amazing and reaching out and offering help, um, looking at grants and what we can do um, to develop women's footy and then also junior footy. Um, And I think he's going to be a huge resource, not just for the Eagles, um, but all clubs across Canada and especially women's development. So that's going to be a really great resource to have. And we're really looking forward to working with him. Can you talk about the opportunity that uh, the Vixens, which of course now will be the Eagles, have had to play over there in British Columbia? Because if we look over towards the East Coast with uh, Toronto and Montreal, for example, uh, around the Montreal competition was more nine aside, but they had three or four teams. And then you were playing 12 aside around the Toronto region, which they had five teams. So they were having football almost every week, at least every second week. How often were you able to play as a women's side over there in British Columbia and how difficult was it? to be able to get opponents? Yeah, it was difficult. Um, the only real competition we have um, on a regular basis was the Seattle uh, women's team, the Grizzlies. And um, due to a lot of traveling and them have being part of the USA team and they have to travel a lot in the U.S., it made it hard for their team to come up to Vancouver as often as they would have liked and we would have liked. And, um, and even though this year we did try to come down as often as possible, traveling is just it gets expensive there are a lot of things going on in the summer and so it's also hard to bring our team down to Seattle for full games um, this year we did um, have some great like tournaments the Kelowna Cup was really awesome we sent some girls over to Calgary for the Stampede Cup um, and then we did have a few um, rounds in Seattle. Um, one time Edmonton came down, um, and so the Vixens played with the Ed- few Edmonton girls that had come down. Um, they had a Cascadia tournament and another tournament, and every time we've kind of been able to send a few players if, um, enough just to kind of combine with a Portland team, for example, a San Francisco team maybe. Um, it has been hard on a regular basis to have full games. Uh, even tw- even 12 on 12 would be what we would consider a full game. Um, many times we just had to split up the Vixens team and we would have a, essentially a pretty much a scrimmage um, eight on eight with our own players. And so there's just not that level of intensity and competition because you are, you know, really going up against your friends. So you can, you know, there's still we're still playing and there's still the same rules apply. And um, 
we still tackle, um, still full contact, but just not that same level as intensity. I think as if having a whole league and some kind of some competition and fire behind uh, every play. It's still early days being in the middle of January, but what is a potential fixture looking like for uh, the Burnaby Eagles women's side uh, about sides that you'll play this year, considering that obviously there'll be a break in there for IC 2020, which we'll talk about in a moment's time. And are there potential plans to come on down to the USAFL Nationals in October, considering it's on the US West Coast this year? Overall, the whole picture has not even been really discussed amongst BCFL directors yet. Um, we're actually struggling to find uh, volunteers from a few clubs still. Um, some clubs have put forth zero volunteers to be part of the, of the directors. Um, so um, that's been a big struggle starting the year off without any, um, without even a full um, director group uh, planned out. But on the Eagles and Vixen merge, um, we've had a lot of discussions about connecting very closely with the Grizzlies as being our main um, opponent and our main kind of source of growth. Um, without their competition and their involvement in BCFL, we wouldn't have become the team that we are now because we really wouldn't have had any competition at all um, besides maybe a few games with Calgary here and there. Um, so we really want to uh, strengthen that relationship and work with them closely, even if they um, will no longer be part of BCFL, which has been in, the, in their discussions. Um, we're really hoping, pushing to help them stay in our league and at least um, still organize tournaments and games where um, we get to play them and be in their competition. I, I have not heard that much about um, going down in October or sending a full team. Um, I haven't been involved in, in that part yet, or it just hasn't been brought up yet. Um, but we definitely will uh, make sure to try and get as many organized games with Seattle before IC, just to help both of our teams. So let's begin to turn our attention to IC 2020 for a moment. Of course, you're, you've been selected in the uh, <laughs> Canadian Northern Lights side. Let's talk about the journey to getting there. How did someone who was uh, born in France, uh, studied in San Francisco at UCAL Berkeley and over in Montreal at McGill University, end up in Vancouver, British Columbia, playing for the Vixens and now Burnaby Eagles? Yeah, so it's a little bit crazy, I guess. But uh, I, I moved to Vancouver and I got a job and I, the, one of my co-workers um, uh, mentioned Australian football and put me in touch with um, Marlena uh, Holinsky, who's also uh, playing in the IC this year. Um, and she invited me with open arms saying, hey, come to practice right away. Um, it was such a welcoming environment. Uh, I love the sport itself, but it was also just the girls were really friendly, welcoming, and also very fun. Just a really fun group of, of people in general. The community is really what uh, made me fall in love with the sport even more. Um, I didn't I didn't think that I could play at a higher level in Canada because I am not Canadian. Um, I had just gotten my PR, and um, uh, it was Caroline Niduk, actually, from uh, Montreal, who was visiting Vancouver and um, who said, Hey, you have nothing to lose to go to the camp. You know, you'll get, you'll get trained. You'll have a good time. You'll improve your footy. Um, and that's all that really mattered. And 
from that moment, I was like, you know what? Yeah, she's definitely right. Even if I can't make the team because I'm not Canadian, um, I still want to compete, improve, and, and try to aim for that higher level. And so I still attended the training camp, um, knowing that it, there was a chance I couldn't actually play, but I was just going to improve my game. And so um, I went to the training camps and then I kind of asked, I was like, is there any way that I can play? What, what can I do to make that happen? Um, and the, um, the, the coaches um, looked into that for me and realized that there was a um, sub-clause that said if you, had, if you were living in the country and you learned to play footy in that country only, um, that you can kind of, there's a little bit of a, a way you can still get in. Um, and so I filled out some paperwork that explained that I had learned to play in Vancouver for the first time and have been living in Canada since. I now have PR, which actually doesn't uh, doesn't really matter. You don't need to have PR, but I, I'm sure that helps uh, in me being part of the Canadian team. Um, and it just makes sense. I mean, I have friends from the U.S. who said, oh, like, why aren't you playing for the U.S.? Because you're a U.S. national. And I would just be playing against my teammates, against the people that I live with and that I um, play with. So it, that, to me, is is intuitive. I, I want to play with the people, my teammates, my my family here, right, as opposed to um, players from the U.S. that I have never played with or against. So I hope that makes sense. <laughs> and for, of course, the Australian Listening PR meeting permanent residency, uh, how does it feel coming down to Australia in 2020 to play on the Sunshine Coast? It's very exciting. I've never been to Australia. I've always wanted to um, make it out there and just never really had an excuse. It's a very expensive and long flight. And, um, you know, I just, I was like one day, um, and this is, this is going to be the day. So that's just a very exciting opportunity and getting to play at that higher level kind of, I've always been striving for in Vancouver without that competition. Um, you're playing really just for fun, which is awesome, but I, I want to play with a little bit more intensity. I want to play um, against opponents that are I'm really challenged by, and I really have to work very hard um, against players who have played for a long time, and I can see their skill, and I can strive for um, improvement that way. Um, and also playing with a team that is, um, the Canadian team has been so friendly, so welcoming to me um, when I've you know, had never met them before, and I just immediately felt like, oh, supportive and um, welcome. Um, yeah, I'm very excited to go down to, to Australia for the IC. Again, just to explain for Australians, I mean, it's the one thing that we take for granted. It's very easy to train because we have our own football levels here. There's always someone to find a kick with, and as we said, we've always got local clubs. There's always plenty of competition. How do you prepare for a tournament like IC 2020 when, A, there's limited playing time, and and B, what do you do to try and keep your fitness up? How regularly do you train as you get ready? Because, of course, you can't train together as a squad being so spread out across the country. Yeah, that is a good point. Um, we do have some training camps that are organized um, for different regions. So for the West Coast, the training camp is going to happen in uh, Vancouver. And for the East Coast, it's going to happen in Toronto. So we're going to get the, the Calgary um, and Alberta players over here. And Montreal um, and Quebec is going to go over to Ontario. Um, so that's one. Um, our coaches are trying to organize more and more um, kicks and training sessions 
um, just to kind of keep a good, um, keep that touch and um, familiarize um, hands-all contact and all that um, stuff. Individually, we are all training um, at the gym, going for runs, um, not necessarily weightlifting strictly, but doing agility work. And um, we have a little bit of a kind of guideline um, set up with some suggestions and um, recommendations on what to do. We are expected to be training at least three times a week um, and slowly increasing the level of intensity and duration of um, exercise so that when we do go into our regular seasons, we're very fit and um, hopefully prepared for potential injuries and um, uh, uh, preventing injuries. Um, in terms of getting that level of competition, it's it's really amongst within the club. So it's going to be amongst the IC players to just really strive to work really hard, um, organizing those games with Seattle so that we do get that um, little bit of extra intensity. And then we'll have a week in Australia before the IC to um, really improve, sharpen our skills and work on our teamwork as a whole team all together. That's really going to be um, a crucial week for us to come together. Um yeah, just individual. We do. Um, you have to have trust in your fellow teammates that they're putting the word in, uh, putting the work in on the side um, and it, by themselves to be really fit, st- strong, prepared, and um, you know, injury prevent preventative measures that have been taken. So, um, yeah, we just trust um, your fellow teammates that they're putting the work in um, by themselves. Well, Leo, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Girls Football on RSN Carnival. Congratulations again on the uh, Vixens merger with the Burnaby Eagles, and we wish you all the very best with the Canada Northern Lights in July, August this year on the Sunshine Coast at IC 2020. Thank you so much, Peter. Thanks for having me and for promoting Women's City. We all um, really appreciate it. We've still got plenty more to come on Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, so don't go anywhere. We are the Australian Literacy and Numeracy Foundation, striving to empower our most marginalised communities through literacy and education. Literacy is having a voice. Literacy is opportunity. Literacy is dreaming big. Literacy is freedom. Today, you can help end inequality and give every child access to our life-changing and proven literacy programs. Your support is vital. Donate now at alnf.org. You're listening to Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. This program's not just on digital radio, it's also available as a podcast by going to the iHeartRadio website and app, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud and Spotify. Let's turn our attention to Ireland because, let's face it, Irish women are going to dominate the AFLW in 2020. Their numbers have exploded to 18 representatives for the fourth season of this semi-professional competition. So we need to know about these women who are going to dominate the AFLW. Plus, there's more on the way. And also, what effect is the AFLW having there on the LGFA in Ireland. To discuss it, we've got on the line journalist with the 42.ie, Emma Duffy. Emma, how are you? Hi, Peter. How are things? Not too bad down here, except for the smoke, obviously, from the uh, bushfires out in eastern Victoria. Uh, of course, completely different conditions for you. A very cold winter back over in Ireland. 
Exactly, yeah. It's not as, as bad as things are going there, sadly. Seems to be terrible, but um, yeah, we can't really complain about a bit of a bit of cold and a bit of wind and rain, which is not the usual here. Let's talk about ladies football for a moment. Now, when we say ladies football, that's obviously how you describe your game of Gaelic football. We've seen over the four seasons of AFLW the numbers explode in Irish women uh, playing the game. First of all, there was Laura Corrigan, now Laura Jaray, who uh, was originally based out here since 2011. She was originally signed by the Demons. And then all of a sudden, things started to gain momentum around Cora Staunton when she signed and played in the 2018 season with GWS. Barring the crosscoders, which we'll talk about for a moment, how much has interest picked up in the coverage of AFLW over there in Ireland since Cora Staunton's adventure? Yeah, I think it's been it's been pretty crazy since Cora went over. Um, I suppose with Laura, it was all quite new and people here didn't really realise, you know, that that the league had started down there and there was only a few kind of articles with Laura. I actually know her because she's from Calvin where I'm from. Um, so I would have kind of known off her from football before she went to Australia. So that's kind of how I, I got sucked into it all. But then Cora, yeah, exploded on the scene and, and everyone wanted to know more then. Um, I suppose Cora obviously has been a huge ladies football name for the past however many years here and um, what she's done for ladies football raising the profile alone just as an individual has been colossal so for her to get that opportunity at that age to go to Australia and to prove herself further and early um, it really sparked a lot of interest and then obviously last year um, when the other girls followed her out and the whole kind of cross quarters I was really interested in that and now we're at 18 this year so everyone's so excited I think um, and looking forward to see what's to come. Of course, we saw um, last year the Crosscoders had about half a dozen. Of course, we think of y- Yvonne Bonner, we think of uh, Alish McCarthy out there at the Western Bulldogs. And, of course, the most successful one of the lot, Alish Considine at the Adelaide Crows. Uh, what do you think was actually the bigger boost? Was it Staunton or was it a real shot in the arm from Considine winning the premiership with the Crows in her debut year? Yeah, I think that was incredible, Peter. I think... I suppose it's it's great seeing girls going and, and doing well themselves, but to actually taste a bit of success and to lift some silverware was huge for Ailish, and I think that raised the profile even more here. And um, but I do think I suppose Cora going and kind of a lot of kind of unknown territory and people not really understanding what was happening and and just intrigued to see how Cora herself got on, and then they kind of got hooked in a little bit. And um, so I suppose Cora maybe created the platform as such and then Ailish kind of added to it last year and then obviously Aspen and, and Yvonne and yeah it's just been it's just been brilliant to watch them do so well and, and to be going back this year with you know a lot of reinforcements as well from here <laughs> Uh, of course, uh, not only with the crosscoders, we saw Sarah Rowe come over by herself uh, last year to play for Collingwood. So the numbers were about five or six. And as we said, in the last 12 months, particularly through the last crosscoders camp when they came over to Dublin, the numbers exploded in the end to 18. What has the reaction been there, I guess, both on the positive side and perhaps both on the negative side? One, to see so many Irish women uh, possibly excelling at this level, but on the other side, what that might mean for ladies Gaelic football back in Ireland? Yeah, I think, I suppose, I was just looking through the stats and it's 11 counties represented across the clubs 
over in Australia, which is which is a pretty big number here, I suppose, to have eleven county teams out of the thirty two plus impacted. Um and the fact that there are, I suppose, the big stars and the big names from these counties is another thing to take into consideration. I'm not sure if you saw but Marie Hickey, the president of the LGFA, so the president of ladies football here, came out before Christmas and was asked about the FLW and is it a character players or is it a threat to the ladies game here? And she kind of was of the opinion of, I suppose, most people on these stories that the mixed thing, it's a super opportunity for players to go and to participate at that level and experience the lifestyle over there and see what they can bring back to Ireland. It's a bit of a dream come true. But then her concern is, and I directly quote, that it's a tough game, it's getting tougher. The worry is that our players will pick up injuries that might knock them out of action for a while. More girls than before have been gone, or have gone over this year, and I suppose it would turn to a threat to our game if they start staying over there long term. It's all of our top players that are going over, and their counties don't really want to lose them. So I think it's a bit of a double-edged sword, and I think that's kind of the opinion of a lot of people here, that it's super for the individual, and why wouldn't the girls turn down an incredible opportunity to go and play like semi-professional in a lovely part of the world and kind of experience a different lifestyle, but then there are counties at home that are struggling. Um, I know there are positives they can bring back, the different kind of attitudes from from their setups and we've seen that with Aero, we've seen that with Ashling McCarthy come back and, and boost Mayo and boost Tipperary. But then I suppose there are girls that are, you know, doing the hard slog all winter here and um, ultimately losing places during the summer because the girls are just coming home. So yeah, I think look from kind of my understanding of it is that Australia Club want to keep the players there more long term. So it is gonna kinda turn into a choice. They either play AFLW or ladies football. It's not sustainable to do both for much longer. You speak of that, just to give a bit of context for those back in Australia, can you explain how long the Gaelic season um, goes for? Because I believe there's two faces, county and club. Yes, of course. So basically it kind of all starts up um, in January, but you know, you're doing your pre-season from November, December onwards. Um, So generally the county season starts off at the end of January with the league. Um, so that goes on until April or May, and um, so that's in county league. And then into the summer, you have championships starting in June at provincial level, and then the All Ireland series in July until September. So that's kind of the county season. But the thing is that the club season kind of runs at the same time simultaneously, and um, it depends, I suppose, of the success of your club. So if you kind of just compete at county level, it's, I suppose, January until August. But then if your club wins at county level and goes to provincial level and then on to national level to the All-Ireland final, it's in November. So it's pretty much the whole calendar year, basically. And so, yeah, that's kind of give you an idea of the length of the season here. And then, of course, if girls go to Australia, they end up going out in... October, November for pre-season and then they're back and I suppose I think last year they were back most of them in April so they got the tail end of the league and then into championship and championship would be considered the big one.
As you mentioned earlier, the concerns would be about the AFLW, which will have to, at some stage, expand. Of course, uh, the, the players here, the Australian-based players at least, are trying to get each team to play each other once, which would mean somewhere in the future, a vicinity of 13 to 16-week season. And all of a sudden, when you conclude pre-season, that turns into something like a six-month commitment. Um, it affects more so on the men's side of the game, where the uh, Gaelic men's football runs right alongside the AFL men's competition. I believe in fact, there was an article um, just recently. One of the managers on, on the men's side of the game was went, went as far as actually arguing that the GAA should sever ties with the AFL. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was Nicky Harris, the Tyrone manager, and he's kind of been known for a few years not being too impressed with the AFL. And I suppose it's, it's one of the, his players, Cahill McShane, that's the centre of it all. So I think he got a little bit riled up and, and yeah. Hit out a bit hard, um, but I suppose yeah, it's it's completely different with the ladies' game. As I said, the LGFA president saying there that she thinks it's a, it's a great opportunity, and her concerns is I suppose just injuries, and then if the numbers were to get higher, then it would be a threat. Um, but in my opinion, like you can't be grudging them an unbelievable opportunity, but also there is that kind of little bit of concern that. Yes, maybe we are kind of losing our big names, especially for the league. Um, and the league is kind of put on a, a lower level and early. Um, and then they come back for championships. So, yeah, it, look, it is a double-edged sword. Um, so it is, it's a bit of a strange one. But I think that's kind of now the opinion across the board here. Um, that, yes, 100%, let them go and let them play. And they'd be crazy to turn it down. But then as the numbers kind of raise, a little bit more um, I suppose concern or just a little bit more worry creeping in but it's nothing too major yet <laughs> um, so so yeah I think everyone's excited to see how, how the girls there is this year 18 is obviously a huge number and you know however much we had to keep up with last weekend with the five girls um, that's going to triple plus nearly, nearly quadruple this year so that is exciting It's fair to say that uh, Ladies Gaelic Football had a head start on the AFLW, been going for quite a number of years. It had the support of TG4. In fact, TG4 funded a tour between the Irish women and the Australian women in a kind of international rules match going back a good dozen or more years, um, except in that game there was uh, no tackling back then. Um, we know that the crowds have been in the tens of thousands, going up to 50-odd thousand uh, for the championship games over the more recent years. So the uh, end of season has had bigger crowds than what they've had in AFLW, but it seems now the shoe's a little bit on the other foot. There's more money in the AFL game once it's up and going and, and more TV coverage. Does this put a bit of pressure back on uh, the, the LGFA on what they can deliver to keep these players? Because obviously Gaelic football has always prided itself on its amateurism. Does it put pressure on them to one day have to at least turn semi-professional? And even before that, pressure on better venues and better training facilities that the players are getting to experience while they're in Australia? Yeah, I think it does, I suppose, push them a little bit further and um, that they do have to... I know there is a, there, there's a high standard down there and, you know, girls want to come back and, and see that in Ireland as well. Um, so I do think in that sense, definitely, yes, maybe better venues. Um, to be fair, the LGFA have done 
colossal work over the last few years um, and that's kind of reflected in I suppose the attendances and the coverage um, like even since I kind of started working out on it in 2016 now and um, there's been incredible improvements like um, I can't even begin to get into some of the stories of, of things even back then but now that would be unheard of um, and I suppose yeah Look, it's come a long way. It really has. And to be fair, the guys in the LGFA, they've put in incredible work and the sponsorship from Lidl has been massive. And as you say, TG Car, which is TG4, Car is four in Irish. <laughs> so um, that's what it's going to spread like that. And they've put incredible work into the promotion of ladies' football. Um, but yeah, of course, um, it's all prided on being an amateur sport. Um, the GAA obviously is the men's football and hurling part of it and then the ladies football is I suppose a separate entity and the camogie as well and so the thing is I suppose over the past few years a lot of people have been wanting to bring everything under the one umbrella here and because you know it's different associations different rules that kind of thing and but yeah I think I, I, I don't really see money coming into play too much like I don't think they can pay their players um, it, it it probably will stay amateur but obviously there are expenses covered and things like that in the men's game and it's creeping in more in the women's game um, but yeah like you know it's a lot to expect people to just play for the love of their game love of the game obviously that is huge in one sense but you know they're, they're giving up so much from the personal life and sacrifices and they might travel entailed in all of it and um, so yeah I think I suppose it it could push the LGFA to kind of to step up a little bit more even although what they've done over the past few years has been incredible so it could just be a kind of natural progression and um, but that could spur it on a little bit more. The bringing over of Irish players to Australia at the moment is being I guess almost looked after by two bodies, except those that uh, obviously go across individually, like we mentioned earlier, uh, Sarah Rowe being uh, one of those, as well as um, uh, Aileen Gilroy. Um, we've got the cross-coders on one hand, which were the originals who got the five going in 2019 and have exploded the numbers, more than doubled them uh, for the 2020 season. And then on the other hand, we've had the AFL that have now stepped in. We've seen uh, five players invited across for a, for originally a trial in Melbourne, and then they held a combine with about uh, 13 players. From what you've seen from the sidelines, who's done best at this so far in trying to help a transition the Irish players across to Australia and, and playing Australian football, but obviously communication between those players, between the clubs, both their local Gaelic clubs and their home Australian teams. Jason Hill is going to kill me if I don't say cross orders or something. <laughs> um, no jokes aside, I think the work that cross orders have done has been absolutely incredible. Like, you know, a lot of these Irish girls don't really have a clue what they're getting themselves in for especially last year because I suppose even even the extra girls that are going over this year the so whatever the 13 newbies I suppose have kind of seen the paths the girls have taken last year and the year before but um, that original group of cross-coders of Ailish of Ashling and Offie Vaughan um, I suppose it was such a step into the unknown for them and I think from from what I hear from both the girls and from cross coders themselves, their work has been invaluable. Like not just I suppose helping them 
in a football sense, um, just in a personal life sense as well, and you know, helping them with visas and, and accommodation and different things like that. Like obviously, you're uprooting your life and moving to not only a different country but the complete opposite side of the world. So it is a big move, and I think they seem to kind of do really well in that sense but but not just that I suppose there's kind of reassurance with the with the clubs on both sides with the clubs here as well um, so I think they have they have been doing brilliant work um, and I'd imagine long may it last like um, that any of the girls I've spoken to have nothing but brilliant things to say about cross quarters about Jason about Lawrence Park and all the work they've done for them so I do think that they seem to kind of have a real grasp for lady football and what it's about and when they have that understanding it I suppose makes life easier um, and yeah look you can see how well their athletes did last year so um, that's only going to improve again going forward I'd imagine Well you're actually surprised by when the um, AFL Europe combine it's been dubbed that but it was really just uh, based in Ireland uh, happened uh, late Mm -hmm. last year that essentially no one really knew about it until it was an article that just popped up on the AFL website of oh we've done this and I put it into the context of that when the combines held in Melbourne in uh, October uh, it's the bells and whistles the media gets brought out over a couple of days they want as many interviews as done that wants to take up the news were you surprised for example people like yourself at the 42 weren't contacted to come along and do interviews uh, get vision etc that it was just oh by the way we've done this and here's a press release yeah, I I actually hadn't heard anything about it until I think it was maybe a day or two before. I didn't have any information. I didn't know where it was. I didn't know who was going, that kind of thing. So that would have been useful, I suppose, if if we knew that it was on. It was something we definitely would have attended. But like you say, until the article popped up on the AFL website, I was like, oh, gosh, Lena Dawson was there. So I didn't know that. Um, so... Yeah, I was I was quite surprised. I had heard wind of the one in Melbourne um, and just the girls that were involved, but there was honestly nothing about the Irish one or the AFL Europe one, sorry, until um, just before it. And I had only heard it from one person, so you know you can't exactly, I suppose, trust that um, fully. And you know, risk taking a full day to to go follow up something and possibly come away with nothing. So it was quite a surprise, yeah, I, I have to say it was. Um, I'm not too sure. I actually haven't even heard too much from it, apart from that article. Um, I haven't really been speaking to anyone who, who tested at it, so I'm not too sure fully how it went. Um, but yeah, it definitely it was quite a surprise. It did, it did catch me a bit off guard. Let's talk about some of those players that did star well before we talk about those that have been signed and will play in 2020. People who are interested to always know what's on the menu, particularly if they will get picked up in the State League here or if they will just go straight to AFLW 2021. Um, you talk about uh, Donegal star forward Geraldine McLaughlin um, um, starring at that AFL Europe uh, combine. Uh, fastest of the 13 players on trial, uh, about 20 metre sprint and in the agility test. Can you give us uh, a bit of an insight to how dominant she is in ladies Gaelic football yeah Geraldine is one of the top forwards in the country in my opinion and in a lot of people's opinion and she's yeah she's absolutely brilliant and she kind of has it all she's still win a ball and 
and she actually done the turn, turn and she will score like 100%. Um, she's the type who would post huge score lines, I suppose, in, when Cora was playing back here, she'd finish up with, you know, she could finish a match with 210 or something like that, which is which is a crazy score. And Geraldine would do likewise. Um, she's, yeah, she's the heartbeat of that Donegal forward line. Um, to be fair, she has super players playing off her as well. Um, but she kind of really brings it all together. Um, so she's really led the way for Donegal over the past few years. But her club team, Chairman, is quite strong as well. And she, she won an All-Ireland with them. I think it was in 2014 they won the All-Ireland. Um, but yeah, Geraldine's a super player. And she's another of the girls who has an incredible personality as well. Um, and I suppose she's at that stage in her life too. I think she's 26 or uh, 27 or 8 maybe um, where she could want to try something new um, because she's been going with Donegal and she's been going with Chairman for quite a long time so I suppose there could be a possibility and if you look at the the results she posted at the, at the Combine they seem pretty impressive um, and you have to remember that that was kind of in our off season as well so uh, I suppose if you got her in, in June or July they'd be nearly even better than that <laughs> What about um, Kerry's uh, Sarah Houlihan, me, Sarah Houlihan. Um She mm-hmm. set a combine best level of um, 18 in the yo-yo test, um, which would have actually won the Australian combine had she come down to take part in that. Mm-hmm. Sarah is a super footballer as well. and She actually retired from intercounty football before that, so that was quite a surprise to kind of see her pop up in the AFL over the combine. Um, but she... Like Geraldine, she's been going for for quite a long time. I think she's three All Stars, which is the equivalent of an all an All Australian in your guys' game. And um, she's very, very, very fast, as you can as you can see from that. And um, she's quite small as well, so she's kind of a nippy little forward. And yeah, like that, she she scored plenty in the game as well. She's I suppose Kerry have been through a lot over the past they were I suppose one of the top teams in the country but then they had a little bit of a fall and just a transition and, and changes of management and that kind of thing but, but Sarah stuck there the whole way through and, and really kind of spurred them on so yeah Sarah is a, a, a brilliant footballer and I think even I suppose we say this about a lot of players but the fact that she's from Kerry and they've kind of struggled a little bit over the past few years probably people haven't seen just how good she is like if she was playing for Dublin um, and if she was on the telly for the All-Ireland final every year people would say Jesus she's the best forward in the country um, but yeah it was like that um, she's retired from Inter-County um, so she stays anyway uh, so she wouldn't be surprised again if, if she was to, to pop up down under then in the next while one of the stars that stood out uh, in the Melbourne Combine uh, was from Galway, um, Olivia Divoli. Um, highly touted. Um, I, I think, uh, if I'm correct, she may have gone into the draft then pulled out. Um, what is her, what's her ability like coming out of Galway and what does she bring to the game? Olivia is, in my opinion, such an athletic forward. Like, she would have run for days um, but not just that she's so skilled on the ball as well and um, she's actually brilliant to watch she's nearly like I don't know I'd 
bit like a gazelle, like she makes it look so effortless, kind of. Um, but like that, she's on a very rapidly rising Galway team, and um, who I suppose were in their first All Ireland in quite some time this year, and uh, she definitely started on route to that. Um, and I wasn't surprised one bit now by her. Um, combine results down in Melbourne and to, I suppose put it into perspective as well she was right in the middle of a, a really hectic club campaign with, with her club Kilcarry and Fonfairn and Galway um, so I suppose she's going to play the county final they won it I think she scored something like 8 or 9 points that day and then hopped on a plane and went to Australia and threw up those results um, so yeah Olivia is one of the kind of younger players to watch in the ladies' football, and I would expect her to have a massive 2020. If anything, like if her club and county form last year is anything to go by, um, I think she's the one who's definitely going to have a big year here. And and like that as well, she's young and um, she's in college, and I, I'd imagine she wants to see a little bit of the world, and so she couldn't rule anything out with her either. Let's talk about some of the players that have been signed for 2020 that will be running around. Uh, we go to the Melbourne Football Club um, first of all, and uh, they signed the uh, Dublin duo, uh, Sinead Goldrick and Neve McAvoy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a big one. I suppose a lot of people kind of said that um, people wouldn't get worried about the AFLW until Dublin players went because Dublin have been the team that have been successful here over the past three years um, in Ring All Ireland. But yeah, Snake and Eve McAvoy, um, anyone who knows a little bit about ladies football, I'm sure would have heard these two names. Um, they've been absolutely superb for, for Dublin over the past few years. And I suppose even before that, because obviously they've been winning the past three years, but they had some tough, tough times before that. Um, and the two girls have kind of been a constant the whole way through. And um, Sinead Goldrick, so most people call her Goldie here, and she's uh, hands down one of the best defenders um, to have, I suppose, ever played lady football. She's just, I, I can't explain Goldie, like she's just a harrier, like she will, she's just a workhorse. She never stops. Um, hurrying and hustling, she's physical, um, but not just that. She'll get forward like she's fast, and, and she can pop up with a score. She scored a goal in the All Ireland final, I think, to to her own surprise as well as everyone else's, nearly. Um, but she is just a girl who will die for the jersey she's wearing. She'll put in everything, and um, so her work ethic will be a huge addition to Melbourne, um, and just her attitude as well, like kind of brings the forefront of the rise of ladies football here. She's been an ambassador for Lidl um, and, you know, walking down the street, walking down the street, a lot of the young people wouldn't recognise many ladies footballers, but I would imagine they'd recognise Sinead Goldrick. Um, Neve McAvoy then um, has kind of really hit her prime over the last, I suppose, two or three years. But she's been involved in the Dublin setup for quite some time. Um, but she's just improved something serious in the past few years to really establish herself as like you know, the class forward. And um, she's brilliant in the air. She's a super aerial press. Um, so I think that would be that would be a big thing. I suppose obviously down there and like that, you can score from anywhere pretty much. 
Um, and as well, she does have, I suppose, the physical element. Um, you might need it as much in the forwards here, but uh, but need will definitely be another exciting addition to Melbourne. And just, I suppose, the attitude they have with Dublin and, you know, they, they know what it takes to win. And I think it'll be interesting to see, I suppose, just what they bring to the setup and then what they take away from it too. Let's talk about a big name. And I say that as in they've nicknamed her The Big Show because they were struggling to pronounce her <laughs> surname. That's Mairead Showiger who's going to uh, end up at North Melbourne. <laughs> the Big Show, yes. Yeah. So I, I first got wind of that now at the cross-coded camp in Athlone last year. Um, and I loved her ever since. <laughs> um, but Mairead, yeah, another, another brilliant forward. Um I suppose I think it was the All Ireland semi final this year against Mayo that she scored scored two goals and she's saying that like, you know, to to get the sniff of the ball and it's in the back of the net. Um and yeah, like that she's been she's been on the road with Gaulle for quite some time and I think she's a she's a teacher. Um so I'd imagine she's kind of been asked that for the past few years and wants a new challenge. and um, she seems to be quite into the gym and that kind of thing too and the physical side of things um, and I suppose being in the professional setup will only bring her on semi-professional setup will only bring her on too and um, so yeah I'm really looking forward to seeing how every commentator tries to pronounce Shoga and Mairead even uh, but yeah I think stick with the big show it's a, it's a good one and since you mentioned uh, Mayo her teammate will be from Mayo Mayo midfielder and Aileen Gilroy Mm-hmm. Aileen super, yes. Um, she's been out for quite some time with the crucial injury. She kind of only got back the latter end of last season with Mayo. Um, but just from speaking from past experiences, um, Aileen is another player who will just leave everything out on the field. Um, she'll give everything to, to Mayo or, or to her club, whoever she's doing for. Um, she's some engine on her. She'll run all day. And like that, she's very physical too. So um, I don't think I'd like to get on the wrong end of a hit from Aileen, to be honest. Um, but yeah, she, it's an exciting one for her for North Melbourne. Um, it's one I actually don't think I really expected. Um, I hadn't heard anything about it before it was announced. And then when I saw it, I was like, oh, but it absolutely makes sense. I think she'll thrive over there, definitely. One player that surprised me, um, albeit I thought she did very well in the three games that she played for the NT Thunder, uh, pipping uh, one of her friends in Ashlyn Curley for a spot on the Collingwood list, was Ashlyn Sheridan uh, out of Cabin. Um, As I said, the three games were good, but uh, I was surprised that the the Pies straight away went, here's pen to paper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that was another one because she kind of went out in the middle of the championship campaign and having her playing all the football at the time and she headed off for a little bit and came back and I think they lost the semi-final when she came back but yeah I was I was a little bit surprised too but I know Ashton quite well I, I used to play with her when I was younger and I you know her from college and that kind of thing and just her I suppose like that she will thrive in a professional environment like it's, it's what she wants to be doing um, she's really talented as well there's no doubt about that but she's a brilliant footballer and I think given I suppose time and just more experience in that environment she will thrive um, I suppose it's it's obviously quite new to her as well as she went on the original cross-coders trial to Melbourne wasn't it and then um, she actually, I don't think she was there 
at the Athlone one because she was she was going out to NC Thunder shortly afterwards. Um, but like she hasn't really played. Some of the girls have played, I suppose, AFL here with AFL Ireland, which my grand runs. Um, but I don't think she played much of that. She kind of focused on the football. But I suppose when she kind of separates things and, and just goes with the, with the Aussie rules, it will be interesting to see how she develops even more. Uh, the West Coast Eagles um, struck gold when they got a couple of All-Stars, really, in the, the, in the Cali sisters, Grace and Neve Cali. Yeah, that was, I think that was the first one of this year, I suppose. Um, and obviously Grace and Neve nearly like a little bit of a package deal. So when, when I saw them both going to the same place, I was like, ah, this makes sense. Um, but yeah, I like that over the past few years. There's been, they've been super with Mayo and they're both really, really talented forwards. I'm sure you've seen these goals from the semi-final last year where she literally runs from the sideline, dancing between players and, and, and hits the top in basically. Um, and then Grace is, Grace like that is, is, is absolutely brilliant. She's good from the place ball as well. Um, um, yeah, both just really talented forwards and really, really lovely people um, who, like every single one of the other girls on, on the list of 18, are really, really driven and I suppose they want to do as well as they can do there. Well, before I let you go, Emma, I will put you on the spot. Out of the debutants that uh, uh, we've been looking at that will be playing in AFLW twenty twenty. Who do you think will perform best out of those Irish women that have gone across? Oh, this is putting me on the spot, isn't it? Uh, I'm very interested to see how Janae Goldrick does. Um, I, yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see how she does because she's been such a big name here and she's done so well here. Um, and I know lots of clubs are interested in her before that. So I suppose to have Mel to to Mel, for Melbourne to tie her down, most of you know there, she must have saw something special in them. So I do think that she's definitely one to watch, um, and I do think actually Kate Floyd with Fremantle, she's been exceptional for Lowes over the past few years, and she's just like a proper athlete. You know, she's the she's the proper build, and um, she's just an eye for goal and for scoring and she's been such a leader for Leeds over the past few years we've had a tough time when their manager passed away last year and she kind of rallied the troops to keep going and they got to an All-Ireland final and they unfortunately lost but they won it out this year and so she'll be coming in on a high and, and wanting more so I do think she could definitely be one to watch because I suppose even here Leeds play junior football they're not in the senior division um, obviously people would be more familiar with senior players than intermediate and junior um, so people here might even know the ability of Kate um, so I think it would be interesting to see how she gets on for sure as well And just one final thing before we let you go people can read your work at the42.ie if they're to go there right now what's some of the stories that you'd recommend uh, written of course by your good self that they can read at the42.ie um, I've actually spoken to most of the girls now after they um, they sign deals and um, so there's quite a few features on, on most of them so if you kind of just search their name and search the 42 click in and, and hopefully it should be there and um, so yeah there's, there's quite a bit of AFLW stuff and, and hopefully lots more to come now over the next few weeks 
Well, Emma, thank you very much for joining us here at Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival. Top work that you've done so far at the 42.ie, not only on just AFLW, but ladies football and a range of women's sports as well. And we look forward to reading more of your work over the coming months. Thanks so much, Peter. You too. Thanks for having me. And that just about concludes our program for yet another week. Don't forget Women's Australian Rules Football on RSN Carnival, Digital Radio Melbourne, rsn.net.au and via the RSN Racing and Sport app is Wednesday evenings, 6pm Australian Eastern Daylight Savings Time. The program is then later available as a podcast by the iHeartRadio website app, the Google Podcasts and Apple Podcast apps and of course SoundCloud and Spotify. You can find the podcast also online at warfradio.com and find us on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash warfradio and facebook.com forward slash warfradio. I'm Peter Holden. Thanks for your company. I look forward to catching up with you again next week.